Are you ready for some scalding hot takes? Talking Vikings with Dane Mizutani and Chase Frederick. This is Inside Purple and Gold. Hey, welcome back to Inside Purple and Gold, Odyssey's Vikings podcast. Chase Frederick, Dane Mizutani here. Now a couple days removed from Minnesota's impressive 23-7 win over Green Bay. We're on to week two, kind of, sort of. We're still going to touch on some week one here. Uh, but Dane, like, two days later, obviously now we just come off Mondays. A little bit of availabilities. Kevin O'Connell talked at length. Where are you at in terms of, like, uh, digesting Sunday's victory and then and then kind of processing what was said on Monday? Yeah, I think after the game on Sunday, it was easy to walk away from that feeling like, wow, this could be a really special season. Like what is the potential of this team? How high is the ceiling? And, and, and I think having two days to digest it, you're still feeling the same thing. And, and I think you look across the league and there weren't many impressive victories. There weren't many victories that were as impressive as what the Vikings did against the Packers on Sunday. So I think in that moment after the game on Sunday, when we're talking about how good Justin Jefferson was, how comfortable Kirk Cousins looked, how dominant the defense was at times, um, singularly in that moment, it it was understandable to walk away from that feeling excited. Uh, But then when you take a step back and you look at the league as a whole, uh, I think you can almost feel even more excited of what's to come. Um, Because I don't know about you, but like, I'm just going through the games from week one. There aren't many victories that stand out above what the Vikings did on Sunday. Yeah. And so I think everybody walks out of week one, oftentimes thinking if you're a team one, they're great. If you're a team lost, they stink. Uh, and, and that feeling sits with you for two or three days. And then you start looking ahead to the next game and, and thinking more about that than anything else. But as we do look back on week one, um, it is true. Some of the teams that lost will stink and some of the teams that won will be great, but also the opposite will be true for some of these teams as well. Uh, but just looking at it as a whole of, okay, what did we see? What maybe white might carry over? What was the most impressive giving the total sum of the performance factoring an opponent? Um, I think Minnesota's did stack up pretty well. And so we did a little exercise. We looked at other wins um, that teams put together. And as I did my list, I put Minnesota's second. I gave them the second most impressive performance of the week. Um, and go ahead. We yeah, I put them. I put them second too. And I think oh, we right. probably agree on on one, right? I would think so. Yeah, go ahead. Say it on. We'll just say it on three. Okay. One, two, three. Buffalo. Buffalo. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I mean, I think just going into LA against the Super Bowl champ, we do rarely see the Super Bowl champ lose on opening night. Um, and we certainly did not. And the Rams were not only beaten, but throttled. Um, and I still think the Rams are a good team. And we'll talk a little bit about the NFC in segment three. Uh, but Buffalo looked head and shoulders a better better than L.A. in so many different ways in L.A. Just giving it to them on a night that's supposed to be all about the Rams. Josh Allen, how great he looked. Yeah, that was more impressive than what Minnesota did. Like, I mean, that was it was it was going to be tough for anybody to top that, frankly. Uh, but I mean, L.A., I think, is still a superior opponent to Green Bay. Uh, you know, Buffalo had to do it on the road or Minnesota did it at home. But I did put Minnesota too. Um, there were other impressive wins in the NFL this week. Like my other top five, I did put the Giants at number five because going into Tennessee, which was the one seed in the AFC last year, it wasn't like a 
beginning to end dominance for the Giants. They were behind. They made some plays late. Um, so that, you know, I kind of downgraded a little bit for that. It wasn't total dominance. But then what the Chiefs did against Arizona, what Tampa did against Dallas, like those were obliterations against um, playoff teams from a year ago. So those both impressed me as well. Uh, but Minnesota against a Green Bay team that was the number one seed in the NFC last year and really handling them from start to finish. I think that is not like only did Minnesota win, not only did they beat Green Bay, but just the totality of their performance for me was like, okay, that is one of the more impressive things I saw across the board. Yeah, I had the Chiefs up there and obviously the Bucks as well as far as impressive wins go. Uh, but I think when when you walk away from week one, regardless of how impressive we feel like the Vikings win was compared to any others, we both agree it was it was probably the second most impressive win in the NFL this week. I think we learned the most from the Vikings though. And We'll talk a little bit about this in segment two. Like there are things that it, it's not all optimistic. There, there's things we got to look at that maybe week one won't necessarily translate to week two, three, four, five, six, whatever. But I think we did learn a lot from the Vikings this week. There was a lot of unknowns. And I think if we're just ranking as far as where did we learn, who did we learn the most from, or, you know, what do we walk away from week one feeling like, okay, we, we understand this a little more than than heading into week one. We knew what the Chiefs were all about. We knew what the Bucks were all about. We knew what the Bills were all about. Uh, I don't think many people knew what the Vikings were capable of, and I think now you can kind of see it. Um, so, yeah, impressive all around. Um, I, I felt that way Sunday. I felt that way Monday watching that cluster of a game, and then I felt I feel that way waking up Tuesday too. Um We'll see if the Vikings can keep it rolling, but there, there's there's certainly reason for optimism here. Yeah, I, I think we learned a lot about not only the Vikings as a team, but Kevin O'Connell. Like they won the preparation part um, of Week One, which I think is pretty big because some teams just don't look prepared. Um, they don't mm-hmm. look like they, whether that be for situational, whether that just be look every side of the ball. Like, did you come ready to play that day? Did you come ready to handle any situation that's going to pop up? I think Minnesota did in more way, far more ways than not. Um, so in that way, like Kevin O'Connell got a great grade in week one. And we'll talk about that um, in segment three, kind of where he ranked among new coaches uh, taking over new teams here in the NFL. Uh, but now, like now the next test is already kind of coming up in some way, shape or form. And this is a different test for Kevin O'Connell and that now you're transitioning. Okay. Like you had a great performance um, and you like, that was a big statement made. But it only means one win. Uh, And now you have to move forward. And now we're going to see, like, okay, how do you get this team to move past that and be just as ready and just as good and just as prepared, if not more so, um, now going on the road against the playoff team in Philadelphia. So, like, you know, it's almost like the transition starting to take place when Kevin O'Connell steps up to that media podium on Monday. Um, I kind of feel like that is more so the transition of, okay, yes, we'll look a little bit back on this, and now we move forward. I don't know, like, generally, sometimes I watch Kevin O'Connell's availabilities. Sometimes I, you know, just read them or whatever. I pulled up his transcript last night from Monday. Oh, my God. The first thing listed is Kevin O'Connell's opening statement. It didn't fit on my cell phone screen. It was a thousand words long, Jace. It was was a true filibuster. It blew off my screen. I had to scroll to the next page. Uh, It was all like, so he just starts before any questions. And he talked about everything. 
I mean, literally everything. But here's what I liked about it. I was like, how do you possibly say this much? He gave every single player it looked like who played well in that game got a nod. You know, like it was like a great job by this guy or at least this unit. Uh, good job by these guys. They really battled. These guys were great. This guy did good. And which, you know, I was like, sure, whatever. And then what really impressed me is he got to the special teams. And he started listing off players. He goes, Chris like- Boyd, Brian Asamoah, Josh Metellus, DJ Wanham, Patrick Jones. Shout outs. Great. <laughs> like these guys really popped on film. It's like, oh my goodness. Um, and I loved it. I think like, yeah, just keep the good vibes rolling. And that doesn't mean that you're going to get like too fat and happy. I don't think for week two. It's a, hey, I saw the work you put in and we're going to describe this as a total team effort. And it was. So I'm going to recognize it from an individual basis of like, yeah, it, like a lot of people will probably miss your contributions. I didn't. Um, I thought they were great. Keep it up. We need more of that from you. Like when you acknowledge guys in the media, I think a lot of guys do see that. And maybe we don't factor it in enough of like guys feel like they're getting their props. Uh, he gave them all their props. And I think that is motivation. And it's like, okay, coach sees what I'm doing. I'm going to keep it going. So I actually like, well, at first I looked at that. And my first thought was the Twitter meme of like, I'm not going to read all that. Uh, you know, like, but I'm happy for you or sorry that happened to you. Uh, I did end up reading it and I thought it was kind of cool. Yeah, Jason, it was it was cool for those of you that didn't have to transcribe it all. <laughs> like that yeah. took like an hour to transcribe his opening statement. Um, but you, you look at what he 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 does, and I think we touched on it a little bit on Sunday. Like just enjoying a win, ha- having others enjoy the win, even when 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 they would win games under Mike Zimmer. Like it, he never seemed extremely happy, and he certainly didn't give credit to all these these people. And look, is that going to be Kevin O'Connell's thing every week? I don't know. Like I'm sure at some point, like there's probably a little bit of like what do I say on a post-game press conference? You know, what do I say Monday morning? Like, who do I give credit to? Maybe, maybe that those things will, will iron themselves out as, as time progresses. Maybe he'll, he won't be giving credit to the 52nd man on the roster because they, they were involved in a tackle, you know, in the, in the second quarter. But I, I think you're onto something when, when, when you say like, I think guys appreciate that. And I think players, you know, Josh Metellus, I'm not sure anyone's ever said his name in 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 the in a press conference. And to be fair, he only said Josh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he said so Josh... his first name said, but you know, I but you know, Metellus was in parentheses in the transcript. Yeah, we we knew it was Josh Metellus, <laughs> and, and and Josh Metellus knew it was Josh Metellus. But you no, know, as as much as Kevin O'Connell's long windedness is going to become kind of a punchline, it, it kind of already has. Like I do think players appreciate that like or just like the the small recognition and so like that was definitely something that stood out from yesterday how could it not it was literally 806 words long i just counted um (laughs) but uh, beyond that i think when we we dive into kind of the nitty-gritty of what he actually said yesterday once his opening statement is done once he's answering questions from from reporters you look at a guy like kevin o'connell and while there's still a lot of question marks, like how can he push this impressive win forward into, into next week and the week beyond, like you look at what he said yesterday or listen to what he said yesterday. A lot of it was digesting the win and celebrating the win, but also like some self-reflection of, 
he said time and time again yesterday, like, I could have been better in this facet. I could have been better in this facet. I think one of the most interesting things he said yesterday, uh, you know, on Monday afternoon was asked about offensive coordinator Wes Phillips being in the booth and how much that helped him. Kevin O'Connell talked about how, yes, that's great that, that I have a familiarity with Wes, but I need to do better being in position when the defense is on the field and, and digesting all of it that way saying, I need to trust my coaching staff. I can't talk to Kirk and West for, for 10 minutes and, and, and try and go over that entire offensive possession ad nauseum. I need to trust that the offensive staff is going to do that. And I need to get better at just paying attention, honing in on the defense and, and you know, kind of picking your spots that way. I think those moments of self-reflection are, are what kind of makes Kevin O'Connell something or someone that, that you can see like, okay, he really has potential as a coach because he's not just focused on one facet of the game. He, he really understands kind of the whole encompassing picture. Um, and I think he's going to continue to get better at that, um, especially with the self-awareness knowing like I need to get better at that. Yeah. And I do think that's important. It's transition from when you go from like offensive coordinator um, to, to like a head coach uh, where he mentioned like, you know, Hey, do we need a timeout or something? Like if you can tell pre-play that your defense is scrambling, like guys are communicating like that, that there's, some confusion as to like certain assignments or scheme or whatever on that given play or how to defend something or line up, then you need to use a timeout and you can't do that. If you're over like discussing what happened on the last offensive possession, and that can lead to a touchdown or whatever. Um, but that's a learning process in game one. You wouldn't expect that to be perfect. And there were no glaring issues there. And that's a good thing. I think when it's one thing to be accountable, when everybody knows you screwed up and we all saw it um, and you're going to get asked about it. And then it's another thing to be accountable when, Hey, maybe everybody didn't notice this, but you kind of know it in your heart of hearts. Like I could have been better here um, and I'm going to work on improving it. So I think in general, like Kevin O'Connell seems like pretty humble, like, but enjoys the moment. Um, speaks ad nauseum about anything. You you, you mentioned uh, Mike Zimmer and like the, the lack of enjoyment or maybe celebration, or it was almost like every Monday, even on wins, there's a little bit more nitpicking. Like, it was like a roll call of players. Like, how'd he do? Oh, he could have been better. How'd he do? Ah, he mm -hmm. was pretty good. How'd he do? Oh, I didn't like that. Uh, I think sometimes, like, especially with players now, like, if you do get them to buy in and they're doing everything you want them to do um, and they're delivering on Sundays, like, just allow them to enjoy it. Like, it's it's hard enough to, like, be as fo lo focused, locked in, all these things uh, for all week. Like, you don't have to tear them down then once they did their job to a large degree. Uh, I, I even see that with like Mike Tomlin, you know, like Pittsburgh beat Cincinnati and Mike Tomlin's in players like social media videos dancing afterwards. And this yeah. is one of the best coaches in the NFL. I um, mean, he's going to hold everybody as accountable as any other coaches in the NFL. But like, hey, your guys won. Celebrate. Have fun with them. Um, make make life enjoyable. Be like, OK, we put in the hard work. We did that. Now let's enjoy the fun of this because it is supposed to be that at the end. So, like, I think in general, like, yes, what he said yesterday, taking accountability, the way he celebrated it. Like, I think the positive vibes only continue on the Kevin O'Connell train right now. Back for Inside Purple and Gold, Jace Frederick, Dane Mizutani, Talking Vikings here on Tuesday, September 13th. Uh, please follow, like, subscribe. Uh, make sure you're getting all the Inside Purple and Gold every episode to your phone on your favorite podcast platform. You can find us anywhere. Um, this might be a good team that we're following. Uh, maybe even better than we anticipated. Maybe not. It is only week one. Uh, it was only one win. You know, things could go off the rails pretty quick. But right now, hey, 
Like there's a lot of good things to talk about with this team. Catch it all. Make sure you're catching all of the action. And then we talked about like we've mentioned a lot of the good things. Like we just spent 15 minutes gushing over Kevin O'Connell um, and just the things he's saying and the way he's handling success. Um, but it, it isn't all roses. I think we know that. I think every team, if you come out of uh, a week one and say like, oh, no, team crushed it. Never get respect. It's already a perfect team. Probably not going to lose a game this year. Um, you're setting yourself up for failure. So let's get into the negative. Uh, and when you brought up this idea of like, let's, let's maybe like focus on something that went bad. I thought of how I met your mother. And uh, Lily on there um, and, you know, like she'd be sitting there and somebody's describing everything that's great. And she just looks at at Robin and she goes like, where's the poop, Robin? <laughs> so like, what's wrong? What are you not telling me? So, yeah, we've gone over so many positive things. Let's look back on week one. Let's get a little negative. Where's the poop, Dane? The poop, Chase. And, and we're nitpicking here. But... I go back to a text I sent you Sunday afternoon. Like three of them, by the way. Yeah. Like, okay. Let's just break it down. First drive of the game, phenomenal. Scripted drive, goes perfectly. They they march all the way down to the Green Bay 5, hit Adam Thielen on a crossing route. I think Adam Thielen probably got the first down, but Kevin O'Connell feels so confident in his fourth and one play that he doesn't challenge that 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 series or that you think that's why he didn't challenge no i i i I think his first drive he wasn't even considering challenging as like an option no and and that's another thing that some people think he should have challenged whatever like i'm fine you you think you have a play on fourth and one and 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 he's so locked in and dialed in on like these scripted plays whatever he goes right on fourth and one from the green bay five sends justin jefferson in jet motion gets him around Kind of like what the Packers used to do with Devontae Adams. It felt very Devontae Adams-esque from last year. And and everyone knows what happens. Justin Jefferson, wide open, walk-in touchdown. Everything's great, right? Kevin O'Connell got a ton of praise from that, from me, from a lot of people on Twitter, for going for it on fourth and one. I actually fought that a little bit. I was like, uh, 95% of NFL coaches would go for that there. Like, and you joked to me, like, I don't know if Mike Zimmer would. I think even Mike Zimmer would have. Like, almost every coach from the five-yard line on fourth and a foot is going to go. So, like, yes, it's great. Love the aggressiveness. Everybody's doing that. But go on. You're you're absolutely right. So that was one of the text exchanges I want to talk about. Like, sure, it's easy to be aggressive when everyone would be aggressive. And, and the aggressiveness was impressive in the sense. It's not like he just ran Dalvin right up the middle yeah, into like a really predictive play. He, he, he got creative with it, got his best player, the ball in space and it was a touchdown, but I think he got a ton of credit for being aggressive there largely because it worked. I texted you later in the day. It was a few drives later. They kicked the field goal. It was fourth and two from the green Bay five. So not fourth and a foot fourth and two. Then I texted you, Kevin O'Connell just had a chance to make me fall in love and he failed (laughs) because on fourth and two from the Green Bay five, which like objectively is like four more feet (laughs) than then he just easily converted on, converted on with with Justin Jefferson three drives earlier. Kevin O'Connell opts to take a field goal. Not only does he opt to take a field goal, he takes a delay of game on purpose, Mike Zimmer style to like give Greg Joseph a better angle you know, at a if you're that close, field. that means you should be going for it. Yeah, if you, if you need to take a five yard 
delay of game penalty so your kicker can have a better angle to go from a 23-yard field goal to a 28-yard field goal. You should have gone for it there. And look, Kevin O'Connell talked about that a little bit yesterday, like or I think it was maybe even post game. Like, yeah, at that at that time, I felt like you know our defense was playing well. Like, I wanted to take the points, 10-0. Like, I get it. Like, if you can do this, hindsight is 2020. Every single time a coach fails on fourth down and be like, well, I'm sure that they'd rather be up 10-0 than than a uh, 7-0 because they didn't get it. But imagine if he goes for it on fourth and two there from the Green Bay five. Best case scenario, you you get it. You're up 14-0, which objectively is better than 10-0. And if you don't, Green Bay's at the five-yard line, and they can't they they haven't showed the capability of moving the ball. I know you're going against Aaron Rodgers, but I just there were things yesterday, and again, or on Sunday, and, and we're nitpicking here, but I would have liked to see a little more aggressiveness there. Fourth and two from the Green Bay five. Come on. And it happened again in the second half, too. It was a, and, and I get it here. Fourth and two from the Minnesota 45. That's a little dangerous in going for it. Yeah, this one I wasn't so sure with you on. Uh, when you sent me that text, I was like, oh, Dane wants him to go for it every time. I do. Um, I want, I want Brandon Staley style in, in Los Angeles where fourth and like team, I'm team no punt. Um, but I, I understand that one a little more. Like at that point, the game is 20 to seven. Yeah. Like, I agree with that fail. too. I think you're letting them back in the game. I think the pros don't outweigh the cons there, but good. Yeah. But so like, I'm, I'm not so nitpicky on that. I, I did feel like you know, maybe you could go there, but that's easy for me to say from my seat in the press box when no one's going to be crushing me on, on Monday morning. If, 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 if we don't get that, that, that fourth down conversion, but I do think the fourth and two from the green Bay five left a little bit to be desired. Maybe as he gets more comfortable, Kevin O'Connell in, in, you know, his job and in his role and he'll take those chances. Uh, Maybe it is always just going to be, game feel situational let's take these points here um i would venture to guess he gets more aggressive um as as his career as as a coach wears on Um, but like i said good things all around that's just nitpicking moments um where's the poop the kevin o'connell's aggressiveness yeah um i i will say like just on your fourth and two from the 45 from your own 45 i don't like it in a 20 to 7 game where like Green Bay's offense has proven kind of stagnant. I would say if it was like 20 to 14 and Green Bay's one score away from taking the lead, then I would prefer the offense uh, to be left out on the field to to put a game away versus having the defense do it. Because look, this offense is better than this defense. And I know like this defense played well on Sunday. We're going to see like, I might be proven wrong. We might be proven wrong. Maybe this unit is just better than we thought. Um, I I, I just think they maybe had a little bit of a week um, and they had some things go their way as well. Uh, But in general, I'm all for like, let the offense win or lose games. Uh, I feel that way. And that's why I, I agree with you on the fourth and two from the five, like go for it. At that point, look, we saw the way the game played out. Green Bay's offense out of sync all day, making that assumption that your defense, which is not expected to be a strength of this team is going to hold up against an Aaron Rodgers led offense is a risky one. Like, the Vikings offense only scored 23 points. So like the defense had to be really good. Otherwise that was going to be a nail biter down to the finish. Like Minnesota had a chance to, to go ahead and, and, you know, put the thing away, put a stranglehold on the game at 14. Oh, like it's obviously not put away at that point, but 
like be in total control. And it was an opt out. It was like, Oh, I'll just go with the two score lead. Um, and it worked out for them because the defense continued to play well all game, but that was no guarantee. And I think I'm with you that I would just, if I'm Kevin O'Connell, lean towards aggression, lean towards your offense, lean towards Justin Jefferson, like your best player, like lean towards that. Try to score 30 points. Don't assume that your defense is going to hold Aaron Rodgers below 23. Um, now, like I said, by the, it's okay to read situations. And I think that that is what he did the last time and said, okay, like I'm looking at the score. I'm looking at what we have now through 40 plus minutes of football. And I think this is going to hold up the way it is. And he was right at that point. But making that assumption when it's seven nothing is a dangerous one. And I think when you're just not sure, lean towards aggression. Um, so I'm kind of with you there. Yeah. And just going back to, to that possession. So they kicked the field goal with four minutes left in the third essentially, or in the second quarter, essentially. Yeah. So four minutes before halftime, it, it does work out wonderfully. They go, the green Bay goes three and out the next drive and, and the Vikings put together a, a seven play scoring drive. They go up 17 zero, but I mean, just go down that hypothetical road with me. Say green Bay doesn't go, go three and out. Say, say they march right down the field. Cause Aaron Rodgers is a hall of fame quarterback. And then they score a touchdown and then it's 10 seven going into halftime. Like, I just think, I don't think you feel great about that. So again, I just think 14 zero is a lot better than 10 zero. Yeah. And I'm just with, I'm just with like, okay, play to your strengths. And this offense is your strength. Um, give them as many chances as possible. Let them determine the game more than the defense. Like we said, maybe Minnesota's defense proves to be great. Just a great unit all year. Um, I don't know if that'll be the case. I just like going with your best players and letting them determine it versus hoping that a perceived weakness holds up um, in, in a tight spot. And it did. It worked out. Uh, but going forward, I'd like to see him trust the offense in as many ways as possible. That's not like reckless. Um, and then, uh, OK, my poop for this one. It was the interior offensive line. I would say I tweeted in the first quarter, like when Kenny Clark was already busting the game up, like, yep, that's a weakness. That's what we thought. And uh Later on in the game, some people responded like, do you think it's gotten better? I thought it got a little better. And I do think it got a little better. Like it wasn't to a point where it was, they couldn't do anything. Um, you know, like it wasn't like every single passing play was like, oh my gosh, Kirk Cousins having to scramble left or right. Um, you know, even the play where he stepped up on the big strike to Justin Jefferson, like they, there was a massive hole in the pocket to step into. So, you know, it wasn't like K Kenny Clark totally wrecked the game, but it still wasn't awesome. Um, I felt that way throughout the game. PFF grades came out Monday and they kind of showed that too. Bradbury's grade was eh. Ed Ingram's overall grade was fine. His pass block grade was not good. Um, we saw even like when Kenny Clark wasn't getting sacks, there were drives that ended. There was like a third and two where Kirk just kind of had to throw it away because Kenny Clark busted up the play. Even mm -hmm. that big 36 yard strike to Jefferson on the final field goal drive. His arm got hit on that uh, because of pressure up the middle and the ball fluttered and Justin Jefferson made a great play, but that can so easily turn into an interception because of the quick pressure up the middle. Like that was a play where Vikings got fortunate. Justin Jefferson made a great play, but Kirk was able to get just enough on the ball to get it to where he wanted it to go. Uh, so like, I think that still showed itself to be a liability. It's still a major concern. It kind of gets glossed over because, Hey, you know, the offense succeeded enough. They won. But it did end some drives, too. And, like, as much as we talk about how great the offense was and, like, they kept throwing the ball all game, it's not like they took their foot off the pedal. And I know Green Bay's defense is good, but they did only score 23 points when it felt like there was more out there. And I think the interior offensive line and they're just their breakdowns here or there caused, like, an incompletion here or there, which I think kept more sustainable drives being put together and this team putting up 
you know, 30, 34 points, which in the past is what they would have needed to beat Green Bay. Um, the defense played well enough where that wasn't the case. But like in past years, if this defense at all returns to previous forms, 23 is not going to be enough. Um, and I understand they might call it a little bit differently, but Kevin O'Connell was still aggressive. Like, I think they're going to have to shore that up if they want to be a great offense. And they were a good offense on Sunday. They weren't a great offense. And I think that was a big reason why. Yeah, just two field goals in the second half isn't going to get it done. Um, and one of those field goals was 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 aided by the fact that the Vikings defense forced a, a fumble. It, it and was it, that. It was that was it. Like that was. Yeah, they got they negative five that. yards on yeah, that. Drive. Right. You're right. So, and in a lot of that, if if we go back and watch, like it it does come down to pressure up the middle. It, it, it's always it's always pressure up the middle. And and as much as people make a big deal and, and ourselves included of, of how impactful edge rushers can be. Like if you have a dominant guy, like a Kenny Clark, like you can reckon, you can reckon opposing offense. I will say with, with, you know, Garrett Bradbury and Ed Ingram, it was, it was good enough. It wasn't great. It was good enough. It, we'll see what they look like against guys that Not aren't Kenny crazy. Clark. I agree. Cause Kenny yeah. Clark is spectacular. Like yep. he's, I, I don't know how he's viewed league wide. He feels like he's just extremely underrated because he's not this huge, like because they've had great edge rushers in the past because they've had a Zadarius Smith or they have a Rashawn Gary now. Like, I think you kind of tend to forget about how good Kenny Clark is. Like at least from a league wide perspective, There's certainly Vikings fans know how good Kenny Clark is. He just, he's destroyed the interior, you know, offensive line for the last two, three, four years. But how how are Garrett Bradbury and Ed Ingram and and Ezra Cleveland like he still plays left guard? I know we talk all about the other two, but mm-hmm. Ezra Cleveland kind of just skates by. How are they going to look when when they aren't physically imposingly overmatched by a guy like Kenny Clark? That will be the true test, I think, going forward. They were good enough on Sunday. Can they be good enough moving forward when when they're not going against a dominant force like that? Alongside of that, though, um, and at Kenny Clark, I think he's one of the best defensive tackles in the NFL. I just don't think defensive tackles get much love, frankly. If you're not Aaron Donald and you're a defensive tackle, you're not getting discussed very often. Uh, But I'm interested. Okay, like, it's an average defensive tackle. So maybe there's not a ton of game planning. Maybe there's not like a, okay, I think Ed Ingram can just hold his own against this guy. Does that bear fruit? Uh, Does he hold Mm -hmm. his own to the point where you don't have to be like, okay, can you know, Clark is a guy that you'll make special accommodations for. You'll plan, you'll try to double, whatever. We don't do that now against somebody against in, in, for Philadelphia. Can they hold up there and not just get beat one-on-one by Joe Schmo um, and have Joe Schmo make the game-breaking play? All right, well, we're going to come back. We're going to look at a couple things. A, where do the Vikings fit within the NFC after week one? Um, we'll kind of do some updated power rankings of sorts within the conference as we make our way to early look ahead to the playoffs. And then... Kevin O'Connell with a week one win looked very impressive on the opposite end of the spectrum. We saw another first year coach really struggle on Monday night. Let's look at all the first year coaches and kind of see where O'Connell stacked into that mix. Welcome back to inside purple and gold. Jace Frederick, Dame Mizutani, Odyssey's Vikings podcast, discussing all things purple and gold. If you want to make sure you're catching every episode. Now, as we preview the Philadelphia game, as we, Cruise our way through the NFL season. Um, make sure you're liking, subscribing, following to this podcast. So showing up on your favorite podcast platform, downloaded to your phone whenever new episodes come out. Dane, we saw Nathaniel Hackett pull like the opposite of the Kevin O'Connell, I think, on um, on Monday night. Losing the game in every way that a coach can lose the game, both from 
we like ripped on Green Bay for running a fourth and goal from the one out of the shotgun and getting stuffed. Nathaniel Hackett liked that so much. He must have brought that from Green Bay. He must have been like, this is the, my favorite thing that we do. Um, he did it twice in the second half against Seattle Monday night. Both of them failed. Both of them ended in fumbles. Um, it just makes sense to me that if you need six inches from your running back, you would like your running back to receive the ball while already possessing forward momentum versus coming from an absolute standstill um, and then having to basically run six yards from a standstill. Uh, but I digress. It doesn't work. And then Hackett, obviously, we saw the way he really, if you didn't see the game, he botched the time management situation incredibly settling with all his timeouts for a 64-yard field goal at the end, which missed Denver wins 17-16 and Russell Wilson's return to Seattle. So let's go ahead, though, after week one and kind of power rank Maybe, I don't know if like the coaches in general or just what we saw from them week one, uh, the new head coaches, there are 10 of them, uh, mm-hmm. guys in new situations this year, Kevin O'Connell being one of them, just quick kind of run through where you've got guys, or maybe we can each start with our number 10, our number nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Yeah. Let's just go back and forth and then, you know, we won't dive too much into each, yeah, yeah, yeah. each one, but I mean, we both had Hackett at 10. I can just, I'll speak for you too. Hackett was he was a drain wreck on one no Monday question. night yeah. in prime time. Hack at 10. It got kind of. Okay. So. And Hackett one, two, was a guy six. who was very much linked to this job too. Um, in Minnesota. Right. So that was interesting. I think for Vikings fans to see, but he was situationally some certain play calling only to get 16 points out of that offense. Like it was a lot of bad for Nathaniel Hack. Not to say it won't get better, but that was terrible. So of the first year coaches, six of them won on Sunday. Right. Uh, seven. So I, I seven, Wait, six. Yes, you're right. Six, six, three, and one. Yeah, six, three, and one. Yep. So I have like seven, eight, and nine are interchangeable as far as I'm concerned. I had Lovey Smith seven. I had Josh McDaniels eight, and I had Doug Peterson nine. Lovey Smith, you could honestly move up and down. They were winning for all game, and they let that thing get away. Um, but to me, frankly, it doesn't matter. All the all the coaches that lost after Nathaniel Hackett are pretty interchangeable to me. I would assume you, you feel the same way. You didn't rank anyone who won below any of those three, right? No, I did put Lovey Smith who tied at number nine because I, would, I mean, not only did they blow the lead, but then I hated that punt on fourth and short <laughs> yeah. uh, with like, you know, 10 seconds left in the overtime and just accepting the tie when frankly, if you convert that convert that first down, you're going to get a field goal opportunity. Um, and you're the coach and the Texans who are not expected to be a playoff team, like play for the win, play for one and oh, like if you're anybody's going to do that, it should be Houston. Um, Levy Smith went super conservative, did that throughout the fourth quarter. I think really kind of booted away a win, um, which is not what you should be doing when you're a, you have a young team, like hoping to rise up the ranks and, I think he did the opposite of it. So I think he did not a good job um, helping close that game out, especially for a veteran coach. Veteran coaches almost tend to be more conservative, and that was the case there. I went Peterson 8 because his Jags lost to what I think will be a very bad Washington team with a very bad Carson Wentz. And then went Josh McDaniels. Um, you know, I didn't love everything the Raiders did, but I'm not going to fault a guy too much for losing in L.A. to the Chargers. Sure. Yeah, that's fine. You've convinced me. I'll, I'll move Lovey to nine. <laughs> that was it. Was a troll. The punt was brutal. The, the, the punt was brutal, and y- you know how I feel about punting. So yeah, never do it. Um, six. I had Dennis Allen. Same with the Saints. I mean, you, you beat you beat my guy Marcus Mariota in the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, it wasn't an impressive win. You, you saw the offense kind of start to click in the second half, but 
overall, I mean, sneaking out a win over Atlanta, who's going to be pretty bad this year. Not that impressive. It's a game that good teams win, uh, find a way to win when you don't have it, but you'd like to, you know, yeah, you're going to get ranked lower because your team really didn't have it. Sure. Five. And I think here, maybe, maybe we'll start to, this will be interesting. Here. It was all splitting hairs for a lot of these guys. I, I had Matt Eberflus at five. Okay. I put Mike McDaniel, but yeah. Okay. I mean, either way, Eberflus like it was an impressive win, but it was rainy. I, I don't know. Like it, great, great on him for, for getting the bears to, to, to overcome that adversity and, and beat what I think is going to be a pretty good San Francisco 49ers team. Um, I put him at a lot four, of so we can discuss okay. him now in general. Yeah. I, so he was, was just like that offense looked terrible. The defense looked fine, I guess. But I think a lot of that is because of just the weather and Trey Lance didn't look that good. And, and the biggest play of the game was just Justin Fields running around and making a play. Like that's not coaching. Like, I think that's like, that's good that you put that guy in a position to succeed, but that, that, 60 70 yard touchdown that basically turned the game on its head when Justin Fields ran around and found Dante Pettis wide open. Like that's just a coverage bust from from San Francisco. That has nothing to do with Matt Eberflus. Yeah, the the credit I'll give Matt Eberflus, he's a defensive guy who comes into Chicago. It's generally a defensive tradition franchise. Um and they were good defensively. Like I would think sloppy conditions is going to benefit San Francisco. who has got a great defense and loves to run the ball and and Chicago out San Francisco, San Francisco in sloppy conditions. So I'll give him credit for that. Maybe he can kind of reinstill that tradition of like, hey, this is how we win games in Chicago. It's how we've always done it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they won the game against a really good opponent. So it's hard to knock them too much. Uh, but, yeah, I agree. You, I wasn't like over the moon compared to some other guys. But you had him four? I had him four right, right ahead of McDaniel. Okay. And I had McDaniel four. So I, I think Mike McDaniel – a lot of people gave him credit for the aggression on fourth down. I thought that was great. Um, I think beating Bill, Bill Belichick in your coaching debut is is always going to be something you remember. I just think the Patriots are going to be pretty bad this year, so I, I, I don't want to I don't want to wait this vid, this win too much. Can we like you talked about aggression and I'm all for it too, and we just will be on this podcast. Like Mike McDaniel got like heroes praise for going forward on fourth and seven from the Patriots forty two. Can we just normalize going forward on fourth and seven from the other team's 42? Like that punting is often a negligible advantage there. You're obviously, you know, field, that's not a great field goal to take. Uh, you should go for it on fourth and seven from the 42, like especially early on in the first half of a game or whatever. Like, sure, if you've got a team put away and you're up two touchdowns, you know, try to pin them or whatever late in the second half. But be aggressive. Put your offense in control. Try to score points. Like that that should be the go-to play every time. And instead, like Tyreek Hill is talking about he's gonna need a wheelbarrow for you know, you know, for his manhood to end up uh to carry that around because of, of such a gutsy call. Like that should be the norm. <laughs> like, can we just make that the norm in coaching and call out the guys who don't do that versus so going bending over backwards to say, Wow, amazing call. Yeah, right, wow. He right, didn't right. want to. He didn't want to settle for a thirty-yard punt or a fifty-nine-yard field goal. Right? Like, how 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 innovative? Like, he no, decided like, to trust yeah. Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill instead. Yeah, thank you. But still, overall, like pretty impressive performance. Yeah. I had him at four. You had him at five. Um, who, who'd you have at three? Kevin O'Connell. Uh, I, I just in the fact that yeah, they were dominant. Uh, the Vikings did beat Green Bay at home last year too. Uh, you know, like a lot of good things, but I just, and obviously I haven't met three. It's pretty high up on this list. I thought he did a lot of things really well. Uh, but yeah, it's a home win against a division team that, you know, frankly, the Vikings beat at home a lot um, in, in recent years. So yeah, I went with the Vikings there. Nothing not impressive about it, but I, I'll think even more of him when they go on the road and beat a good team. 
Sure. I had O'Connell at one. So, <laughs> so like I you can I'll wear the homer card here. I had Bowles, Todd Bowles at three. Like I think that's an impressive win. Nineteen to three, looking dominant. Obviously, defensive coach just completely taking away you know what I thought was gonna be a pretty impressive Dallas offense. I just thought the 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 Tampa Bay Bucks were kind of ready set go for him. So I, I was I was impressed with with the overall performance, but like I think at that point the team was pretty set to win. Yeah, I actually put him at one. Um just because I thought it was like, wow, you took a team that many team people have in the playoffs in the NFC, you went into Dallas and did yeah, Dak got hurt late. So this is gonna be a bad Dallas team probably because they're gonna dig such a hole here. But like dominated Dak, yeah. Prescott Dallas Cowboys, like your defense went in and just destroyed Dallas in every sense. Um, and it was a non-competitive football game in many ways. Tom Brady was good, not great. And it didn't matter. Like Tampa looks like an NFC contender, if not favorite, because, you know, Todd Bowles clearly like he picked up right where Bruce Arians left off, if not better. Like maybe Todd Bowles does better than Bruce Arians. We don't know. Uh, so you obviously had Brian Dable at number two, and that's exactly yep. where I had him. Going into Tennessee and winning with the Giants, a, a good come from behind win, using Saquon Barkley to perfection, um, really like letting Daniel Jones, like, I think kind of setting up to succeed, not putting too much on his shoulders. He made a few good plays, but I think there was like the perfect mix of how much you want to lean on Daniel Jones to try to win a football game. And then going for it for too late to win the game. Like everything was a plus. I thought certainly like Tennessee could make like a 45 yard field goal at the end and win it, but for Brian Dable, it was just impressive. Yeah, I think so. And I think we agree there. Uh, just maximizing Saquon Barkley, I think, is is impressive. It's something I don't think should be that hard. But I think the fact that he finally has a coach that's going to tailor the offense to him, who is very clearly the Giants' best player, whether it's giving him the ball, running with him, giving him the ball in space. I think he had five or six catches. Um, I think the utilization of Saquon Barkley and just kind of what could come from that uh, is reason that he he was number two for me. And then you had Bowles one, I had O'Connell one. Again, it's splitting hairs at this point. I think one A, B, C could have all been honestly for for O'Connell, Bowles, and and Dable. Uh, I just want to like quick touch on this, and then we'll get into like where the Vikings fit in the NFC. Quick to wrap this up, but you touch like six. Two and one or whatever, six, three and one. You see the early impact that new coaches can have in the NFL. And I do think like we've seen the whole fresh air thing from Minnesota throughout training camp in the preseason. Mm -hmm. All the guys have talked about it. We saw it in week one. To me, this is such evidence that NFL teams, if your head coach isn't working, I think it's a kind of it's a fallacy that you need like a coach to have three years in the NFL to come in and set their culture and, and get things going on the path you want. Like I feel like in year one in the early stages, still like training camp and whatnot is long enough, you know, and then the first few weeks of the season where you can kind of see what's taking hold and what's not. I, I mean, like, and if something's not working, don't be afraid to make a change because that can sometimes be what sparks the fire to get your team back on the right path. Like it's very rare that a coach is awful for two years and then comes in season three. And it's like, well, now I've got my culture set and they take off. Like if you don't see certain things, if you don't see like possibilities, like it's different in Detroit where they had a terrible roster last year, but by the end of the year, you could see they were playing pretty hard for Dan Campbell and you saw something might be there. And now we'll see how that goes from here, but don't be afraid to make change because change really can be what sparks a difference for your team. So that's what kind of my main takeaway from week one. We saw it in Minnesota. 
And we saw it in a lot of other places too. Like the giants don't win that game with Joe judge as their head coach. Like there's just no way. Um, I, I just like, don't shy away from making change. I don't think like giving people time is as necessary in the NFL as it may be like in other sports. You're right. And it's like the NFL compared to college. I think college football yeah, there's it, talent it gaps, sense, right? You, 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 know, you like want you to recruit your gaps. class, right? right. Like the NFL, it's it's generally a, like a ready, set, go situation for a lot of these players or these coaches coming in. Yeah, some some rosters are better than others, um, but you're right. Like it's not like a year zero to take a word out of a PJ Flex playbook, but a Gophers coach. Like there's no year zero in the NFL. Like if you're bad in year one, two, you, you're probably gonna be pretty bad in year three. I think we all knew Joe Judge sucked. Like right, right away in year right. one, we didn't need three years of Joe judge to realize, Oh, he's still bad. So you're right. If it's, if it's not working, move on. It, it's okay to admit, admit you were wrong and, and move on to the next guy. Cause like you said, six, three and one, it, it, I think that's, that's, that's proof enough. We'll see how these guys shake out over the rest of the season. But I, I think overall um, first year coaches are going to do pretty good this year. All right, let's run through the NFC real quick. Let's just go rapid fire. I will list out the teams and, some kind of order and you say whether the Vikings right now um, looking forward based off week one results, if you'll take the Vikings or the other team. Perfect. Let's go. Arizona Cardinals. I'll take the Vikings. Vikings. They're a disaster. Atlanta Falcons. Vikings. Love my guy, Marcus, but it's gotta be Vikings. Carolina Panthers. Vikings. (laughs) Vikings. The one and all Chicago Bears. Vikings. Vikings. (laughs) How about them Cowboys? Well, well it's got to be Vikings now because the Cowboys are going to dig themselves quite the hole with with Cooper Rush as their quarterback. Sorry unless for they trade for the next month. Unless they trade for Jimmy Garoppolo, it's got to be Vikings. But yeah, it doesn't seem likely. I'll go with the Vikings as well. Uh, the Detroit Lions put up a fight against Philly. They're going to be a team that can and will be worse than the Vikings. Agreed. The Green Bay Packers. Vikings until further notice? I couldn't do it. I put the Packers still. And like, <laughs> if you're listening, if you're a Vikings fan, you're like, what? I totally get it. I just couldn't do it. Uh, <laughs> I could be wrong. Maybe maybe the Vikings are better. I took Green Bay. Uh, the Los Angeles Rams, the defending Super Bowl champs, fresh off their week one blowout loss. I'll take the Rams. It, I, I don't think we need to get too bogged down in, in, in what we saw Thursday night. Buffalo's really, really freaking good. Um, the Rams are better than the Vikings. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I think the Rams will bounce back and will look great for a while here. Uh, the New Orleans Saints, interesting one. Teams like them coming in. They have a lot of talent. They did end up winning week one. I think the Vikings, but I don't think it's as big of a gap as as some people think. Just because New Orleans struggled with, with Atlanta, like there, there's a lot of talent on that team. Michael Thomas started to look like himself in the second half. Um, if that guy comes back to, to, to true form, um, and I know you, you think he will this year, um, I think the Saints are right there with the Vikings. Uh, I, I take the Vikings by a hair. It's pretty negligible, but I also would take the Vikings. Um, and I would do it, frankly, because I just think Kirk Cousins is better than Jameis Winston. I think Jameis Winston's a decent quarterback, but I'll take Kirk there, and that's kind of a tiebreaker. All right, the Giants, fresh off that upset over Tennessee. Vikings. Vikings. Uh, the Eagles, this is an interesting one. They won week one. This is a playoff team from a year ago. A.J. Brown looked like a great addition to that offense. I think I would take Philly, honestly. Like, I think I don't love Jalen Hurts as like an actual NFL quarterback, but I think like 
there's enough there. There's enough weapons there. Uh, I think he creates he's, – he's dynamic enough from that quarterback position. I don't know if he's the long-term answer, but right now I think it works. I think watching him with A.J. Brown the other day, like I think that works. I think the defense is good enough. I'll, I'll take Philly by a hair. Okay, I'll take the Vikings because of Jalen Hurts. I just over the course of a season, I think you're going to lose some games because of Jalen Hurts that you shouldn't lose. Um, so I will go with the Vikings. The, the 49ers, they played in the Mud Bowl. I don't know how much we can take away from that Chicago game, as you mentioned, uh, but not an impressive debut for Trey Lance. Who do you got, 49ers or Minnesota? I, I still think I take San Francisco. I just think that roster is better. Like I, I will be interested to see how Trey Lance looks over the next month because it was not impressive. And I'm the, I'm as big of a Trey Lance guy as there is out there. And, and that was not a very impressive week one performance. It was rainy, but I mean, Justin Fields played in the rain too, and and he didn't look nearly as uncomfortable. There were some throws. Justin Fields didn't look great, but yeah, you're right. But there were, there were some throws that Trey Lance made that, that you could see like, okay, he's, he's got some stuff here, but just overall, like he's missing the easy throws. And I think that's always going to be his issue. Like, you don't need to gun a, a ball in there at all times. Um, it's okay to just make the easy throw and complete the easy throw. We'll see. I, I'll still take San Francisco here just because I think that roster is better. Um, but maybe it's a bit closer than I thought uh, a week ago. Probably should give some attention to the fact that George Kittle also did not play in that game. Uh, but I'm taking the Vikings because I don't want on the Trey Lance train. It pains me to say that. You know, Trey Lance is the local kid here. Um, I don't know if I've seen enough through his three starts now in the NFL to have much confidence there. Uh, Seattle, fresh off there, big win over Denver. The Vikings. Yeah, Vikings. Seattle might win like two or three more games. Uh, Tampa. 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 And then the Commanders. Are you a Carson Wentz believer after their big win over Jacksonville? Absolutely not. It's the Vikings there. So I'm with you. I will take the Vikings. So I think I have Minnesota fourth, just behind Green Bay, the Rams, and the Bucks, And I think you have them fifth behind. Uh, I think I have them fourth as well because I no, put Green Bay. You also took the 49ers, you took the Eagles, yep. Um, yep. you took the Rams, and you took the Bucks. That would put them fifth. You're right. You're right. You're right. Fifth. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I think our opinions have shifted upwards a little bit. Uh, maybe not so much. i probably put them like seventh to fourth. Uh, they maybe went up like a spot. Um, and it was a win that we're not stunned by, so that makes sense. But there's so much more football to come. We'll see how that Eagles matchup lines up, frankly, this week, and we'll get a good idea which team might be superior as far as the NFC race goes. Um, a lot more to get to. Thursday coming up, I think we might try to get to a mailbag, put out some questions on Twitter, uh, and we'll try to get to those. Uh, so a lot more to come here this week as we preview Vikings, Eagles, and the Monday Night Football Showdown to come. For Dane Mizutani, I'm Jace Frederick. This has been Inside Purple and Gold. Thanks so much for listening. Goodbye. Twenty Four Hundred Sports is an Odyssey company. 